Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me this Friday, November 17th. Is it my imagination or are these Fridays coming faster? Um, Maybe it's just, it seems that way to me since I took a couple of days off to go see my daughter at the beginning of the week. Anyway, uh, I hope you are getting ready for whatever kind of wonderful family or found family Thanksgiving celebration you have coming up on the books. Uh, I will, of course, be here Monday and Tuesday of next week. Um, And then I will be having a wonderful Thanksgiving celebration with my family, myself. Theoretically, I'm cooking. And I say theoretically because when I'm cooking, that means I have ordered the food from somewhere and will be picking it up. I, I think if you've paid for the food, that counts as sort of cooking the food. Mm, well, we'll see. We shall see. A little bit later today, we're going to be talking to Shella Young about uh, Thanksgiving and some of the mistakes that people make real commonly. Also, I'm very excited today at uh, 3.30 today, we're going to be talking to Big John Howell, radio legend in Chicago, who was, as you probably well know, recently uh, terminated by WLS Radio. WLS Talk Radio is, of course, conservative talk radio. But uh, John Howell always tried to be a local voice that was willing to see all sides of an issue. His bosses decided that, A, they didn't want to pay for anybody local since they could uh, get all these syndicated people. And B, they kind of liked the syndicated people better because they were farther right and angrier, you know. More conservative, more ultra-right, because sadly, angry radio sells. Angry radio has a tendency to attract listeners. Ooh, let's listen today to see who's going to be mad about what. We say, you know, we don't want that kind of media, but our actions tend to um, give that as a lie. You know, Rush Limbaugh was a man of no real strong beliefs. He um, told the Republican Party once when they came to him, um, wanting to know what his real passions, his passionate issues were and how they could work with him. And he looked at them like they were idiots And he said, I just care about whatever sells. I care about whatever brings me listeners. He didn't care about issues. He didn't have core values that he was trying to bring to his radio audience. He just wanted numbers. He wanted numbers, and he knew that if he had a big enough audience, and this is the same thing with Tucker Carlson, that a big enough audience turns into a kind of a weird power. Um, So Big John Howell is going to join us to talk about what? 
He thinks about things, the news of the day, and what happened to him, and what he thinks about the state of radio, especially conservative radio. Big John Howell, I'm, I'm very pleased that he will be joining me at 3.30 today. So, until then, as you know, it is Friday. If you weren't listening at the top of the show, it is Friday, November 17th. And every Friday, we open up the phone lines and we talk to you about what are the stories that you think were important. What are the issues of the day that you want to discuss? 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. If you can't remember it, remember 773-763-WCPT. And um, in case you have forgotten, you can also use that same phone number to send me a text. Get your little text icon on your phone out, click it, and put that number in, 773-763-9278. And you can type me a message, uh, and I will try to get those thoughts out on the airwaves as well. You know, I'm on um, the press list for the White House, which generally means... I get a lot of stuff that I just delete. Who's going where, doing what, especially when it's related to campaigning. But um, pre- we, Donald Trump didn't want anybody to know who he was talking to, what he was talking about, or who was visiting him at the White House. So he undid the White House tradition of being very open about all that, which means That when President Biden makes a call, a phone call in his official capacity as president, there's a readout. And I think it's very interesting that I got an email today, readout of President Biden's call with Amir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani of Qatar or Qatar, as Rachel Maddow says. It's said that President Biden spoke with Amir and the two leaders discussed the urgent need for all hostages held by Hamas to be released without further delay. You know, the head of Hamas resides in Qatar. And um, whether or not that is a situation that will be tolerated going forward, it is what exists at this moment in time which means that the Qatari are in a perfect position wanting to maintain friendships with the West and yet clearly having connections to um, Hamas and clearly wanting to be influential in the Mideast. It puts them in a really interesting position to aid hostage negotiations. Antony Blinken said at the start of this conflict, after the Hamas terrorists took hostages on October 7th, Antony Blinken said that all behind-the-scenes avenues were going to be pursued, but that as per usual, per the State Department, negotiations 
about the release of hostages, et cetera, and so forth, would not be commented on publicly, which is which is pretty much par for the course. So this phone call is a public indication that these back-channel negotiations are still ongoing. There were reported rumors that a release of hostages was close to being finalized before um, the Israeli Defense Forces started their ground incursion into Gaza. But I don't know how much credence we can put into, especially in this situation, where it seems like anybody who's leaking anything in the Mideast has even more of an axe to grind than leakers usually do. Uh, So, but regardless... The negotiations for the release of hostages seem to have stalled. Now it appears from this readout, it said the leaders also discussed ongoing efforts to increase the flow of urgently needed humanitarian assistance into Gaza and Israel's decision to resume fuel deliveries. So now it looks like Rather than, you know, don't send your troops into Gaza, the um, negotiations are over fuel deliveries, food deliveries, medicine deliveries. The um, first fuel delivery, according to Israel, 50% of it was stolen by Hamas to run their generators so they could keep their tunnels lit. But uh, the rest of the world argued, you know, even if you're going to lose 50% every time, at least 50% of it gets through to the hospitals and the other places where fuel is desperately needed. So the pressure continues. Well, so long story short, the readout of this phone call tells us that there are still very high-level negotiations going on in an effort to try to get more hostages released. And that's good news. Uh, There are other news items that I want to talk about. Again, I want to remind you that it is Friday, and I want to hear from you, 773-763-9278. I know a number of callers are waiting. We're going to take a break and start getting to those calls right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday. Every Friday we spend the first half of the show talking to you and finding out what it is you think are the important issues of the day that we need to be discussing. Uh, Let's go right to Steve from the Gold Coast. Hey, Steve, how are you today? Thanks for calling. Fine, thank you. And uh, I wanted to just chime in and uh, sort of, you know, remind people that, yes, the holidays are coming, but sort of prepare yourselves mentally and otherwise for 2024. I mean, you know, January Mm -hmm. kicks off and we're right right in the heart of primary season. And it it really does matter. And I, I, I know I'm not voting for Donald Trump, but obviously, you know, I think that there are people who are middle of the road. And uh, perhaps, you know, even uh, diehard Republicans. And, you know, I I would ask you to talk to those people 
if you have friends who are of that ilk, you know, the, the fact is that in our primary structure, it's it's the. Shoot, um, Paul, this has been happening to Steve uh, lately and a couple of our other guests where they just sort of disappear mid sentence. Um, is there any way you can help uh, reconnect with him? Okay, uh, Steve, it happened again, if you still have your radio on somewhere, and I don't know what it is. I know for me, sometimes when I'm talking, especially to my daughter, my big fat face uh, hits the mute button or even sometimes ends the call. But I would never accuse, I would never, ever accuse uh, Steve from the Gold Coast of um, shutting his phone off with his cheeks (laughs) Um, while we're waiting for Steve to call back. Why don't we uh, go to Jim, who is calling in from Chicago? Hi. Hello, Jim. Hi. Yeah, hey, Joan. That shrinking violet uh, QAnon guy, he surprised me he's going to run with uh, the lovable two Americans, Rand Paul and Charles Koch, and the Libertarian Party. But what I thought, if he held out long enough, he could be a VP pick. Now, Oh, who are you talking about? Be, RFK Jr. or who? No, I'm talking about the, the shaman. The shaman, you know, the guy who wore the, the outfit. The Jan- yeah, the January sixth guy yeah. who wore the bullhorns. The shaman's running for uh, libertarian, some libertarian post in the United States. In, in oh, the House isn't that just special? Right, <sighs> but if he would have held out, he, he might have been picked by uh, by uh, <laughs> Trump because they would have yeah. made a lovely pair. They would have made a lovely pair with his outfit on. Uh, and Trump is getting more natty as these court cases go along. I don't know if you noticed, he ditched the uh, Goodwill outfit, the blue serge coat with the big, the cheap red tie. He's finally putting some good threads on. So somebody's whispering in his ear. But the two of them together would be absolutely spectacular on this on the stage. You know, him and his, with the bullhorn and the hat and the horns and, and Trump with the... Maybe with a hand painted tie this time, you know. Oh my! But, yeah, but they they make a great pair, I think. You know, the Q and I people be sold up. They'd be in their pockets. Well, you know, anybody anyway. who supports Donald Trump would support him. Um, you know, with any vice presidential candidate at all. I mean, you know, my dog Willow could be chosen to be the vice president by Donald Trump. And his supporters would say, look at him. He's a dog lover. Isn't that great? All the more reason to vote for him. It's just, you know, well, it's how we, we got a year. Yeah, we got a year to go. Less than a year to go. So I know. I know. 2024. It's um, it's going to be important. It's going to be big. Another and I'm really looking forward to it, especially having the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. <laughs> I, I hope it's better than the one that we had in 68, but I don't see how it can be any worse. So let's go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Joey. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, somebody just uh, shared this with me. It apparently was reposted by presidential historian Michael Beschloss. Um, an announcement made by the grandson of President and Mrs. Carter that former First Lady Rosalind Carter has entered hospice care at home. Now, remember, we got the word some time ago that her husband, former President Jimmy Carter, had entered hospice, where um, last report we got, he's still enjoying getting phone calls and eating ice cream. 
but uh, his wife, Rosalind Carter, has now entered hospice care. The grandson, their grandson, Jason, said she and President Carter are spending time with each other and their family. The Carter family continues to ask for privacy and remains grateful for the outpouring of love and support. So I uh, wanted to, to share that with you. It's sad, isn't it? Um, anyway, uh, Steve from the Gold Coast is back. Uh, Paul was able to get him back. He called back, Steve, continue your thoughts, please. Yes, uh, unfortunately, I don't know how far I got. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so, I, I mean, get out there, talk to your friends. If they're independents, if they're Republicans, you know, get them to participate in the process. You know, if there, if there is another mm-hmm. possible nominee out there, I'm not I'm not a fan of the Republican Party, but I don't think uh, Nikki Haley or Chris Christie as president ends the republic as we know it. I do think that if a Donald Trump is elected again, it could be the end of the republic. Or at I, least we could I be plunged this into something akin to another civil war or unrest we haven't seen in, in decades. Well, um, he has, having said he has that, set, he's laid out his agenda quite clearly, and it is absolutely uh, the dismantling of the government as we know it. Yes, he's got, he's got that and an enemies list. In terms yes. of who he plans to get back at, that not only that not only includes Democrats but a lot of Republicans. So you know, uh, again, we need to get out there. We need to tout the message about what this uh, this country uh, has seen under Democratic rule, or what Joe Biden has managed to accomplish, and Republicans are already running on the infrastructure bill that they opposed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's um. It's pretty funny. I mean, it. It's tragic. <laughs> But um, I like the fact that in many cases, President Biden is trying to point that out. And uh, the fact that in a lot of places where this work is being done, they're now putting up signs that say, you know, you're welcome from President Biden and the Infrastructure Act. Uh, I don't know. I think that I'm not too worried. I know people say, oh, Biden's in a hole. Biden's this. Biden's that. I'm not too worried right now because... This far out, traditionally, who's ever the incumbent isn't looking very good and isn't polling very well. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, the proof will be where are we going to be, say, in February or March? You know, I think that's when uh, we're going to start to see things really take shape. But aside from and I know, Steve, you and I have talked about this before, aside from a severe medical event, I can't imagine anything, anything any conviction, any other indictments that would pull Donald Trump out of this race? Can you? Yep. Oh, I think he's gone again. Sorry about that, Steve. Um, let's uh, let's move on. Um, Greg is calling in from Elk Grove Village. Hello, Greg. Hi. How you doing, Joan? Good. Uh, I'm a first time caller. And Thank you for calling. I've been listening. Yeah, I've been listening to you ever since you started on this station, and I think um, I think you're great. Um, first of all, I just wanted to let you know that. You know, you were talking before about um, people who like to listen to angry talk, and it seems to be that, you know, that, that's what they seem to be compelled to listen to. But, you know, really, um, when you're in your car, for example, 
you can get AM uh, radio for long distance, and we've got too many conservative uh, radio stations that don't do anything like what WCPT does. So, you know, we, we really need more stations like WCPT because I think that if, if we had more of them, if some of these billionaires would buy some of these stations and put them on the radio, I think that more people might switch over. And that's what we really need. We really need more, uh, more radio shows like, like you do. You know, I couldn't agree with you more, Greg. In Wisconsin, and I don't know if the man funding it lives in Wisconsin. Uh, he's a very, very wealthy Democrat. I'm trying to remember the name. His, he's not famous at all. So even if I remembered his name, you probably wouldn't know it. But he created in Wisconsin something, an organization called something like Civic Media. And he has uh, bought a few radio stations. And he is doing just that. I know this because Pat Kreitlow who uh, reports for the Courier Newsroom in Wisconsin, Up North News. Pat Kreitlow does two shows for him. He does a talk show and then kind of a, a news show. So I, I think that Democrats, especially deep-pocketed Democrats, and admittedly there aren't as many Democrat billionaires as there are Republican billionaires, but I think this is one place where they let the Republicans get ahead of them. You know, there have been uh, Republicans who've been buying up television stations and buying up radio stations and getting the conservative message amplified. And Democrats are very slowly seem to be waking up to this idea that, you know, that maybe a multimedia approach is an effective approach to winning hearts and minds. I don't know why it has taken so long, but it has. But, you know, there are glimmers of of hope um, that maybe, maybe we'll be seeing more of this in the future. It's moving very slowly, though, I have to say. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that, but um, I, I kind of felt like um, it was moving a little bit more into a progressive mode. But like you said, slowly I, I just hope it continues because we really need it. The media is, you know, that's people get all kinds of media and, and includes radio. You're right. Even television, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's uh, why shows right now, like you have, and some of these, you know, other people that come on later after you and so on. Uh, they're so important. They really are. Yeah. Thank you for the call. And I hope, Greg, uh, we have treated you well and you will call in again in the future. I would like that. Well, thanks a lot. You have a good holiday. Take care. You too, Greg. We are going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday, and on Friday, we take your calls and talk about the news of the day. There is one thing that I want to tell you about because today is the last day to comment. Okay, this is a little bit in the weeds, but hang in there with me. Donald Trump, remember, has said that he is going to not only in his next administration, should he get one, 
He's not only going to throw out all of the people who are political appointees, he wants to get rid of all the career civil servants because he wants to replace in his next administration all those people with Trump supporters. Okay, there is a rule that is being uh, put forth by the Office of Personnel Management that would make it much more difficult for Donald Trump to do this. Okay, this is I'm really if you want to read the whole article, uh, Don Moynihan has written a fabulous substack on it. It's called a tangible thing you can do today to fight Trump's takeover of the federal government. But what he wants you to do is go to this link, go to this site, which is a federal And you can make a comment. Today's the last day that they're taking comments. And at, when he first wrote this Substack, only 50 people had commented and at least four of them were diehard Trump supporters who said, don't do this, don't do this. It's a bad thing because they want Donald Trump to be the dictator that he wants to be. Let's see. I think I'm going to try to I'm going to try to tweet out and po- uh, and, th- and put on threads the link to this page. All you have to do is click on make a comment and then say, this is a great rule change. Please do this to protect our democracy. I mean, you can write a whole essay if you want, but that's all you that's all you have to do. And then you post it. And today is the last day to post. And um, Don Moynihan in his Substack said, if you don't think that when this stuff comes up for a vote, if you don't think they pay attention, they may not read every comment. But if they know that 3000 people said this was a good thing and only 400 said it was a bad thing, that's going to sway the people who have a chance to make this reality. OK, it's kind of in the weeds. It's. um It's this new rule change. It's called upholding civil service protections and merit system principles. Yeah, I know they don't they don't make it easy. Um, But all you have to do is make a quick comment. And bing, bang, boom, you have helped from the privacy of your own home, from the comfort of your own couch. You have helped thwart Donald Trump. And isn't that a good thing to do today? If you are somebody who regularly posts on social media, uh, Don suggests instead take that five minutes where you would rant about politics on social media and take that five minutes and go to this site and drop down a comment. When he first posted his Substack, I think he said that there were there were just a handful, really, of of comments. I just logged in uh, a minute ago And right now, there are over 2,000 comments. I didn't have a chance to read them, but if we can make our voices heard so easily. So it's federalregister.gov slash documents. I will try to copy this link and put it out on my social media. So hopefully all you have to do is click it and it will take you to this page. Something you can do. We none of us want Donald Trump in the presidency. None of us want to live in a country where he is president again. 
But this, even if this is a measure that he works very hard to undo, it will still hamstring him for months and months and months to get the kind of loyalist regime that he has told us repeatedly that he wants to to have. Okay, let's go uh, back to the phone lines. Uh, Tony's calling in from Melrose Park. Tony, are you there? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am. How are you? Great. Um, So um, you mentioned Jimmy Carter and Rosalind. Um, Three words come to mind when I think of them. Integrity, uh, compassion, and empathy. Mm. And at 90 years old, they're swinging hammers and nails and and helping out. Right? Yeah. Right? We should all be. What's the opposite? Because he was president. If I remember, he was president of the United States and a politician. Um, what's the opposite of integrity, compassion? Oh, Donald Trump. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even um, his his uh, sister who died recently and often defended him uh, on social media. Somebody replayed a conversation that she had had with Mary Trump, his niece. And she goes on Mm -hmm. and on about what is wrong with him. He only cares about himself. He lies. Nothing he says can ever be believed. You know, he's such a horrible person. Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Who could say anything? Who could say anything bad about, who could say anything bad about Jimmy and Rosalind? Wonderful people. And that'll be their legacy forever, forever. And well, the reason why I called was I was I was thinking the the pub I'm sorry the Catholic schools that have closed because a lot have closed uh, why can't the, the Catholic Church bring in the migrants There's already rooms It's a warm place to stay The Archdiocese should think about this Especially with uh, you know that they're you know that the Republicans are pushing this to make when we have our convention. Uh, the the makes Chicago look like oh look at the homeless look at migrants. Oh, yeah. Well, if we take care, of, we show Jimmy Carter's empathy and Rosalind's empathy and compassion. It could work in our benefit. Yeah, I agree that there are a lot of empty buildings that could be repurposed. But I do want to give credit where credits due. Uh, Catholic Charities has so far. Well, last I got the statistic, which was a while ago, they had. Um, not only found housing, but also were helping get social supports and jobs for 500 migrant families. So Catholic Charities, I mean, it's kind of when you've got 24,000 migrants coming from Venezuela, um, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a drop in the bucket. But there are efforts being made not just to, you know, put them uh, in a warm building, but also to really give them the kind of social support they need to to flourish. So that is one program. But I agree with you. We have empty churches, as Governor Pritzker has said. We have vacant federal buildings. We have, it Mm -hmm. seems to me, a lot of places that could easily be repurposed. You know, what's the worst thing that happens until you can get some of the rehab work done? You put people in a warm building and, you know, Put up porta potties or something, you know. I mean, it can pad, be done. Pad shelters, pad shelters already does this. 
Yeah. So it, it, that's what they do is they bring people into uh, churches and just put down a pad, something warm to eat, and they're happy to get it because it's better than mm-hmm. the alternative freezing outside in Chicago. So, yeah, yeah so, if, yeah, what would Jimmy Carter do? Let's just think that yeah. way. That's that's a great that's a great way to judge our actions going forward. What would Amen. Jimmy Carter Amen. do? Yeah. Thanks for yep, the call. You got it. I appreciate it. We're going to take care. Have, yep. Thank you. We're going to uh, get to more phone calls, and I will try to get to our texting line. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break. Don Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. One of our textures just asked for that um, web address where you can make a comment on the rule change that would slow Donald Trump's efforts to eviscerate the civil service if he gets another presidential win. I have uh, put that link on my X account, which I really try not to use very much anymore. I've also put that link out on my Threads account. Threads is um, pretty easy to sign up for, especially if you already are on Instagram, because uh, you can just say, do I, you want to be on Threads too? And you like click a button. So I have put those addresses out. If uh, you are not on either of those social media and want to send me a text, 773-763-9278, send me a text and I will um, text you back the link uh, just to make a comment. Open up the comment page. Yes, I want to make a comment. This is a great rule change. We should adopt this. This is important to protect our democracy. Bing, bang, boom. You're done. Um, and it's something you can do personally today to thwart Donald Trump. And, you know, isn't that a, isn't that a good thing? <sighs> Let's go to Dave from Hoffman Estates. Hello, Dave. How are you? Hey, Joe. I think didn't they say that uh, Mrs. Carter had uh, like dementia before. I'm trying to remember. I, I, I can't remember for sure off the top of my head. It's just, it's a distinct possibility, but, yeah. but I can't tell I you that. I remember, yes, I re- remember reading something about that, you know, right around the time when, when president Carter, they said had the, that terminal cancer, whatever that he is, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, he like you to add on to what you're just talking about. If he, he used to do the whole you know, habitat for humanity, mm-hmm. yep. building them homes, you know, so, Yep. And remember when he was diagnosed, um, geez, how many years ago now? He was diagnosed with melanoma and he was given a very short time to Mm -hmm. live. And he received one of those new immunotherapy treatments. And didn't it knock that melanoma back? Oh, my goodness. Yep. And uh, he's always been my president. I served under him, you know, when I was in. So he he really. Yep. He was a. he was a good-hearted man, but he had a lot of evil, stupid people that he brought on. He had a good heart. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what I was going to talk about was, yes, brought up about that uh, Vindman, Eugene Vindman, you know, mm-hmm. talking about running that because this representative, Abigail Spanberger, she's announcing Monday that she's going to leave Congress to launch her own bid for governor and that. And uh, yep. Vindman and that, just like his brother, Alex, he was actually Alex's, Alexander's, behind-the-scenes advisor for him during that congressional proceedings. And then just like his brother, he got forced out of the role by the Trump, you know, for retaliation. Mm -hmm. And 
actually was it was improperly he punished him and uh, of and, course it was clearly retaliation i mean um you know and and I, I was kind of sad that the military went along with it but you know donald trump as president uh has the right to refuse military promotions he can tell um the military no you're not going to promote this person and it was Pretty plain that the uh, Vindemans uh, had no future there. And my, I had always thought that the, after President Biden got in, he should have let both of those Vindemans, especially Alexander, and the, they were due for the full bird colonel. He should have let them come out of retirement for at least one day and promote them to the rank of full colonel so they could get the retirement pay as a full colonel. You know, they. I wonder why he didn't. What they did. Maybe at that point he was still trying. You remember in the beginning, though, it seemed like President Biden was trying to go out of his way not to antagonize Trump supporters. Maybe he just felt that 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 would be an empty gesture that would just pour salt into the wound and and further uh, push those people away. I I don't know. I think that would have been a, a really I think that would have really gotten him. A huge amount of a good attention, and people would have really been proud of him for doing that. I think I think that was a missed opportunity. I think he still should, because if you recall, Trump did that for that murdering seal, Eddie Gallagher. Yes. He, he yeah. did basically a, uh, I'm trying to think of the word now, influence, you know, undue influence in that, because he had been stripped of a rank. Yeah, what Dave's referring to is there was a a Navy SEAL that was who was put on trial basically for being a sociopathic killer. And here's the thing. His own squad testified against him. They did not think that he was using violence appropriately. And he did awful things like stabbing a, um, um, a captive who was on his way to the hospital. I mean, just mm-hmm. just crazy stuff. And yeah. uh, Donald Trump. Trump actually had him come out and speak after all this yeah. went down. And yeah, Donald Trump. Trump had him come out and speak on behalf of his campaign. Yeah, yeah Trump did uh, the, the term as a command influence mm-hmm. that time. Because they had stripped uh, one rank, and this way, Trump made it that they had to let him retire out as a master chief petty officer. Yep. He, he stayed in about a week longer so he could get that. So that's why my thought was, come on, Pre- President Biden, geez, you know, these people deserved it. And they still it deserve would, it. You know, sure it's would seem that way. Back pay. Mm-hmm. You know, give them back pay for the time they've been out now for Colonel. And... Um, so you get others, and uh, with Big John Hall, is he gonna? I'll give you a name from the past that you should remember when, when you filled in for Dick a few times. Is he gonna be like uh, Jake Hartford? Jay who? Jake Hartford. I don't remember that name. Really? He had a refresh my memory. Real early, he was early on. Awake with Jake. Awake then, with Jake. Uh, oh my goodness. That's catchy. And then he, left, he got fired at LS, and the, the op manager back there liked him, and they brought him on. And hmm. then later on, he he got whatever let go, or he walked away, and finally from CPT. And then I guess he got hired back at the LS. Wow. Yeah. 
Because huh. I thought, you know, you might have crossed paths when you filled in for Dick that time a few times. But, uh, oh, I, if, yeah, anyway, I, don't, I don't recall, but... Oh, God, uh, I've been around too long. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be any older than me. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, I've been since day one, you know, since this station came on. Yeah. You know, after, you know, Air America and that. But anyway, let me get off. You got others, but... Have a good holiday if I don't get to talk to you. Thank you. You have a good holiday, too. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we're all going to have to think about is, uh, do we have political discussions around the Thanksgiving table? Do we just try to change the subject? Do we just try to eat (laughs) in peace? Um, My gathering is going to be pretty small, so I don't think... Um, I have uh, anything, famous last words, I don't think I have anything to worry about. But for those of you who do have a politically challenged family, remember all the experts I've talked to say that the first thing to do is to find common ground. Whatever that common ground is, you both care about the nieces and nephews. You both care about the kids. You both care about rescuing animals from shelters. Whatever it is that you both care about, have a discussion about that first. And that will remind both of you about your connection and about your humanity. And maybe then it will be possible to talk about tougher things. And, you know, the other technique that I've been reading about and talking about, ask questions. Rather than saying you're wrong or you've got your facts wrong, um, say, you know, where did you, where did you learn about that? Or, or where, did you, where did you get that information? And um, really sort of, it's almost kind of like what they do in therapy, you know, that you don't generally go in and your therapist says, oh, I see you have this problem. Here it is. And here's what you do. The therapist talks to you generally so that you figure out what the problem is. They they can lead you to the information, but they don't generally just spoon feed you. Get people to think about what their sources of information are and why they think those sources of information are reliable. And, you know, maybe, maybe if, you know, you want to change a pace, maybe you should try reading or listening to X for a few days. Wouldn't it be interesting to get a different perspective on, on all of this? Because it's it can be a bad idea to get all your information from one source, even if that one source is gloriously me. Huh. You want to check and cross-check. That's what I do when I read something that I think is really controversial. I look at more than one source to see everybody's reporting on it, everybody's take. And oftentimes it's really interesting what one outlet chooses to focus on and ignore and what a different outlet chooses to focus on and ignore. You can, um, you got to educate yourself. You really do have to be responsible for your own political learning here. Oh, let's go back to the phone lines. Ron's calling in from Chicago. Hey, Ron, thanks for the call today. Yes, uh, there seems to be uh, very little evidence, if any, that the uh, Hamas terrorists had their uh, headquarters underneath the uh, hospital in Gaza. They, the 
uh, any reporters uh, in the tunnels to uh, look around to investigate. So it's kind of kind of questionable. Okay. Well, I actually heard that they didn't find when they when they investigated that uh, Gaza hospital room by room. The latest reporting I saw said that they didn't find any tunnels, but in uh, in one of the I believe it was one of the MRI testing rooms, they found a pile of equipment like radios and and guns and ammunition, Um, because I think I saw on CNN uh, they had one of their cameramen in there um, and was recording video of it. That's that was what that was the last information I had. But I, I don't think that any, at least at, at least at that time, there hadn't been any tunnels found. Right. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know that part. And uh, and what's it, what's it going to take for uh, uh, to have uh, George Santos removed? Uh, you know, the the Republicans uh, they would not even you know not even blink if uh, George Santos mm-hmm. started started showing up at the Capitol building in a uh, prison jumpsuit with numbers across his chest. They went in with Yeah. Well, it would take, um, you know, there were a lot of Democrats last time there was a resolution to kick George Santos, the um, fictitious, fictitiously created congressman from New York out of Congress. Even some Democrats voted to keep him because they said, you know, there's an ethics investigation. There's a criminal investigation, uh, but he hasn't been convicted of anything. So it's you know, we're not just going to on the basis of the fact that there's an investigation, we're not going to kick him out. However, the ethics investigation has concluded. I believe they issued a 56 page report that has been described as scathing about how he defrauded people. He took donor money and spent it on himself. Uh, he just he he. They said that they were turning the all the information that they had gleaned, they were turning it over to the Department of Justice, implying that there could very well be a criminal indictment in the future. Now, as far as kicking him out of Congress, that takes a two-thirds vote. So we would need not only every Democrat, but we would need quite a number of Republicans. And right now, if you've really been paying attention... The only Republicans in Congress who've talked about getting rid of George Santos are the other Republican Congress people from New York State, because they're worried that if they don't do something about Santos or if they don't at least look like they're doing something about George Santos, it's going to come back to hurt them when they run for reelection. A Democratic opponent is going to be said, look, you know, you knew this guy was a was was fraudulent. You knew everything about him was a lie and you didn't do anything to get rid of him. So uh, would the Democrats and the New York contingent be enough to expel him from Congress? No, they would not. And uh, I don't have any hope that it will happen because the votes are too tight. As Kevin McCarthy said when he was asked if he was going to make a move to get rid of George Santos, and he looked at the reporter and he basically said, why should I? He's a vote I can count on. He will vote the way I tell him to vote. Why would I get rid of him? And so there, that's, that's pretty much the, uh, as much as they care about the ethics of the situation. Yeah, even even if he was convicted of a lawyer fraud, the Republicans would say, well, he has the right to appeal, so let's wait for that. You know, exactly. <laughs> There's always going to be an argument 
as to why they shouldn't do anything about George Santos, because they don't have um, enough of a of a of a cushion to pass all the bills they want to pass without, you know, counting on every Republican vote. So, no, they're um, they're going to be very expedient about this. I think we are. um, And I think George Santos kind of tried to cut him off at the pass by saying, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to run for reelection. So if you just hang on, you'll get rid of me soon enough. You don't actually have to expel me. And I think that's going to give them the Republicans who might have voted to expel him are now going to say, ah, you know, the guy's leaving anyway. So why rock the boat? Yeah, he won't cause any trouble, right? <laughs> right. Come on. Yeah. And one more short thing. Uh, you're talking about Arizona yesterday about the 110 degree temperature. Uh, yesterday on the Tom Harton program, they were mentioning uh, that in in Brazil this week it was 137 degrees. Oh, oh my I God! That, I don't know if that's true, but if it is, that's unbelievable. I have a, yeah. Unbelievable. I um. I have to I'll have to look that up, yeah. but um, but There's that's no luck either. <laughs> well, frankly, it doesn't even have to be that warm to be to be too warm. I frankly think a hundred and if you're going to have a hundred and ten degrees for a week or two weeks at a time, that's that's more than I can handle. It's really it's really bad. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Right. Thank, thank you. you. By the way, um, we are going to break for news now, and we're going to get back to the phone lines when we come back. But I said that you can use our call-in number to text me, 773-763-WCPT. A number of people have been texting me asking for the link where they can go to that federal site and uh, put in a comment about the rule change that will hopefully, if not stop, it'll slow down Donald Trump gutting the civil service if he, by any chance, is reelected. I've been sending out that link. Uh, please, uh, if you um, if you can, if you're not on social media, because I put it out on X, I put it out on Threads. But if you're not on social media and you have three minutes to click on this link and write a quick comment in favor of the rule change. Please send me a text and I will shoot out that link to you directly. Let's take a break for news. We'll be back with more after this. Jonas Pizzito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Jonas Pizzito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. It is Friday. We spend the first half of every show on Friday talking to you about the interesting political and news stories of the week. Let's go to John, who's calling in from Western Michigan. Hey, John, thanks for the call today. Hi, Joan. Another great show. Uh, I like you uh, as much as Wayne Besson, but uh, <laughs> you're doing a great job, and I, and I really like your ethics and values. Uh, I'm a Catholic, but uh, I, I, I suspect that you might be. Uh, but anyway, listen, the 14th Amendment, um, Trump has uh, monetized everything, uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of documents, national security documents, and he's God knows who he sold them to. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the guy has cheated on his income taxes. We we would have gone to prison if we had done what he has done. He's tried to overturn the election 
and he's promised to do it again. He's a, a Reichstag uh, in, in living. Uh, he's a living Reichstag. Uh, and, and also in dictators, every single dictator, whether it's Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, uh, Joseph Stalin, uh, Putin, uh, in China, in North Korea, every single one, it gets worse and worse and worse. And a lot of these people, well, look at, let's take a look at Germany. That was one of the most educated countries in the world at the time. It still is. But um, they wanted, they had hyperinflation. They had uh, record unemployment. And uh, Hitler was able to, you know, he's a strong man. He was able to turn that around. But then it got worse and worse and worse. And uh, these these people today, God bless them, you know, they're good auto mechanics and truck drivers and everything else. But they, they haven't had a well-rounded education, and thanks to our education system, which has dumbed down Americans and, and the media by that uh, fact. And, uh, but... You know, Trump, Trump cannot even to this day, he says what he would do Um, and he cannot he cannot um, be the president again. And uh, if we didn't have the Electoral College, I wouldn't be worried. But the Electoral College skews our results so badly and it gives uh, those red states that are small with a small population but very pro-Trump, it gives them as much clout as the states that have these huge Democratic populations. I mean, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, for God's sakes. Most of the Republicans we've elected president haven't won the popular vote. But if it weren't for the Electoral College, I would be confident we could put Trump in our rearview mirror. But like you, John... I'm terrified. I'm terrified that no labels and RFK Jr. and all these other folks are going to skew the election in ways that we can't predict and that it could happen. Whether or not the majority of us want it to or not, another Trump presidency could happen. And it terrifies me. Well, and also in Nazi Germany, the very wealthy, the most wealthy people in Nazi Germany, that's Hitler. And it, to, to be the, the most wealthy people in this country are afraid of democracy. They see the handwriting on the wall. They want a kinder, gentler dictator, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that ain't going to happen because it doesn't get kinder and gentler. It gets worse and worse and worse. And I'm, I'm terrified about it, frankly. And Fox News is, is the root cause of most of this division in the United States. It should have never been uh, started, and it, it should be shut down, and people should go to prison for what they've done to this country. But I also want to go into, uh, uh, well, I'll go into the uh, the immigrants from uh, Central America. I think we need a Marshall Plan, not only in this country, but in, in Ecuador and Honduras and so forth, where we reinvigorate their economies and make their, uh, allow them to make uh, windmills and uh, solar panels and, every, you know, roads that are, are uh, to charge up cars and things like that. And it would it'll be a win-win for the American people, for those people down there, and for the, the uh, planet. And so that's all I have to say about that. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today, John. I appreciate the call. Uh, let's go okay. to Eduardo uh, now, who is calling in from Florida. Hey, Eduardo. Go ahead. What is it hey, that you Joe? want to talk about today? Yeah, just briefly, Jay Carford uh, used to be a funny guy. Uh, used to do this joke about uh, daylight saving time, spring spring forward, spring back, or fall forward. 
he was a pretty funny guy, but uh, he he passed away uh, some time ago. Um, I'm not familiar yeah. with that person. No. Yeah, but but moving on, uh, I want to get your thoughts about what do you think is going to be happening? What's going to need to be done? I mean, in my opinion, as far as some solutions besides trade schools and also doing something like uh, curfew on this crime. Um, maybe once mm-hmm. it gets dark, having a curfew. Um, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into profiling because, you know, we got uh, in trouble with that with uh, Mr. Burgess, right? Yeah, on the surface of it, a curfew always sounds like a good idea, but it in practice, it doesn't really work very well. And what ha- what I think has to happen, I think, um, first and foremost, there have to be job opportunities uh, for people. Right. I mean, if you've got a good job, you're going to want to keep your nose clean. You're not going to want to get in trouble uh, if you've got a good paying job and you can take care of your family, you can contribute to your family. But that's kind of a long-term solution. In the short term, I think that what we saw briefly in Chicago and appear that may, we might be returning to it again, this idea of community policing, where, you know, it isn't just the uh, squad cars driving through the neighborhoods, but they actually park the cars and they right. get out and they walk around and they get to know walk people. Walk the beat, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but I, 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 I think, also wanted to add, I'm sorry to interrupt, I wanted to add something. Before you get to the job uh, part, and this is something that gets, that gets taught either at home or somewhere else or in school, is the person has to have discipline. Because if they don't have discipline, then they're not even going to want to be at the job for a week or longer. They're just going to be blown it off and be AWOL and doing their own thing. They're not going to have this discipline to have a steady job and build up a savings and get a house, get a car, whatever. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, but yeah. there are a lot of I, there are a lot of young people who uh, don't have discipline, and a lot of older people who don't have discipline. And that doesn't necessarily mean they get right. involved in a life of crime. I mean, I think right. if we just, uh, Eduardo, look at our own families, we can find some people who fit fit that bill. It's a whole. It's a whole panoply of things going wrong, and I don't think there's a one-stop shopping way to fix it. But that doesn't mean that we just throw our hands in the air and do nothing. You know, doing anything, I think, is better than doing nothing. Um, but thanks for the call, Eduardo. Yeah. I, I appreciate hearing thank from you. our, okay, thank our you, audience yeah. in, in Florida. And have a great holiday. Um, let's see. I think we, before we take the break, we've got one more. we got one more call. Let's go to Greg who's calling in from Lake in the Hills. Hey, Greg, how are you today? Hey, I'm good, Joan, and nice to talk with you. Nice, always always good to hear your show. Uh, the first thing I'd like to say before I forget is uh, i just like to make a shout-out to Jim and uh, Dave and uh, Roosevelt, uh, fellow <laughs> listeners, and uh, but they, they call in where I don't. <laughs> but, uh, well, you're I've just going to have to change, times, that. change your ways here. Yeah. You know, really, I I've, I all the time uh, recommend my uh, that my sister tune in and all so forth. But uh, you're you're just uh, you're you're one of the you know nicest people. And uh, like someone said just uh, uh, previously, a couple calls back, I I think that uh, your ethics and 
that's one way to put it. But I, I just think that uh, we're in sync. Uh, and I, obviously, most of the people I think that call in are in sync with uh, the way that uh, you would apply, uh, you know, uh, your thinking towards the, the issues of the day. Um, the, the reason I called in uh, was I think that, you know, like we have rallies sometimes and people that we had one uh, recently in support of uh, uh, Israel uh, where around the country and, of course, around the world, people have been uh, standing up for Israel and so forth. But I was wondering if uh, what your thoughts would be about uh, if people who are, let's say, they lean Republican and have, you know, voted for, let's say, uh, Donald Trump back in 2016. And, uh, you know, if they would come out, we could set up a rally and say that these are people who no longer support Donald Trump. If we had mm-hmm. rallies across, you know, the country, and you you saw if these if there generally are these people that are not part of that uh, so-called thirty percent out there, and you could see these people out there, maybe that would uh, have some impact on the people in the Senate and the uh, House of Representatives to say, hey, wait, there's a good deal of people out there that don't support this guy. Well, anyway, you know, just a I think that, I think you're I think that's a good idea. I don't know if you remember. There was toward the end of the Trump uh, last Trump presidency, somebody I don't know if it was Lincoln Project or Midas Touch, somebody created Republican voters against Trump and they created a website where people could shoot these short videos and upload them. And they would say, you know, I used to be a Trump supporter. Uh, now I'm not. And here's why. And it, I thought I, I used to play that. a lot of them, and I thought it was a very, very, very effective. And it could be very effective again. I think the problem now is so many people who supported Trump are embarrassed about it, or they don't want to face the wrath of the rest of their friends or family members who might still support Trump. So they're sort of, they're in stealth mode. And I don't know that we're going to be able to pull them out of stealth mode anytime soon. But that's why I was thinking if I agree with you on that. I understand that it's like there's so many times I I think to myself, boy, I'd like to express the way I feel about this guy and put a bumper sticker on my car. But, you know, I value the car. It's the only one I've got, you know, (laughs) and uh, I feel it'd be it'd be destroyed. I wouldn't have the the freedom of speech, you know, and that's what to me, that's what that would be. But uh, certainly see people who are, uh, you know, uh, either I don't know, they they don't care about other people or whatever. They put signs up. You see signs for Trump still. and they're out there, and uh, it's like I, I wouldn't think of putting one out there, but I wouldn't think I, I'd like to do the same thing to show, say, hey, my support for people I think are, uh, you know, decent human beings, in addition to being uh, the politician uh, who I would vote for, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, it's uh, I, I agree with what you're saying there. Uh, it, it is a very fearful a time to be fearful because you just don't know about these people. But if there were safety in numbers where they would come out to, uh, uh, let's say, downtown Chicago to uh, a meeting point down, uh, meeting uh, location down there and the same thing in all the big cities and, uh, and not just the big cities, but, the, you know, Milwaukee, uh, uh, fairly good size city, but the Madison, you know, and if they come out and, you know, show their solidarity that would be picked up on the news. Uh, maybe this would uh, be something that the, you know, seeing that out there and just say that these are people who voted for Trump and they no longer do. It'd be the same as those people uploading those videos. But yeah. I don't know how you would organize it. Well, we'll think about that. Maybe we can come up with something. OK. <laughs> OK, <laughs> Joan. For, have a very nice weekend. You too. Yeah. We're going to take a break and uh, get more of your calls in right after this. 
Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Every Friday, we spend the first half of the show having a lively discussion with you, the listener, about um, whatever it is that you choose to talk about. Uh, Let's go to George, who's calling in from the south side. Hi, George. How are you? Oh, just fine, Joan. Um, Thank you for taking my call. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, (laughs) Yes, it is. This may be getting into uh, a little bit too much inside baseball, nuts and bolts politics, but the whole George Santos disaster not just for the Republicans, but for all of us, could have been very easily avoided. This was a secure district for the Democrats. They had held it for 22 years before Santos. And the Democrat who had last served for three straight terms, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Thomas Suozzi, S-U-O-Z-Z-I, I guess had a fit of overblown ego in 2022 and decided to leave the House to run for governor of New York. Now, to me, this is inexcusable. You don't run against a sitting office holder of your own party unless they're totally decrepit and corrupt. And that in no way describes Kathy Hochul. She's an excellent Democrat and a superb governor. And there was... So much enthusiasm for Swosey across the state of New York that he got a total of 13% of the vote in the primary. Oof. So in the meantime, uh, because of the fact that the party had held the seat for so long, uh, they didn't treat Santos with, that, with any uh, respect or uh, understand that he could be a serious threat. And so the campaign was lackluster, underfunded, and undermanned. I I don't even remember who ran against. I don't either. But the bottom line is, is that the whole, and I guess this falls on Kathy Hochul a bit too. Uh, Everybody and his brother in the party should have leaned on Swosey real hard to say, what the hell is the matter with you? You're leaving a safe, secure seat when every seat counts. And it's a pointless exercise. Uh, and now he's announced that he is going to file for uh, the next election and that he wants to get his old seat back, which just makes me want to expectorate. <clears throat> yeah. And it's kind of- like, gosh, I hope there's a, a clone of AOC in that district, because this is one the Democrats never should have lost. I mean, I think the Republicans have more party discipline. They wouldn't have allowed uh a guy like uh, uh, Cozy to, to to just jump and leave like that when he had no chance to be governor, and it it hurt. It hurt all of us badly. I mean, that, that's just a yeah. failure in every part. Yeah, I think um, I well, there were a lot of congressional seats that went to the Republican Party in New York. New York was um, for as successful as Democrats were around the country in the midterms. New York was an embarrassment. Um, and I'm not quite sure why I haven't dug deep into the party politics of New York, but it was an embarrassment the way the Democratic Party performed in the midterms in the state of New York. And, you know, um, I don't understand 
there was, as we've reported before, there was one tiny little like Long Island newspaper who really dug into George Santos and did a story on how he was a complete and total fraud. But nobody, nobody picked up on that story and ran with it or amplified it. Um, it was, you know, but the, but the fact that with just, it seems the smallest amount of due diligence on the part of the New York Democratic Party, that Santos, his story fell apart so fast. It was not a well-stitched together lie. Um, it's just, it's just awful. It's just absolutely shameful. Could I make one quick point before we sure. go? Sure. About the, the uh, electoral college. You know, one of the things that all students in the primary and secondary grades should be studying and learning about thoroughly is the history of slavery in the United States from the beginning and how it's still the millstone hanging around our nation's neck today. I mean, the Electoral College was set up partially to make sure that the small states wouldn't feel like they would be bullied and overwhelmed by the big states, and also because uh, there was a, a certain distrust of the electorate back then that they weren't worldly wise and sophisticated and educated enough. None of that's true now. But it was also installed with the uh, complete support of the slave states because it gave them uh, more electoral votes than they deserved because, as we know, they were able to count the slaves as 60% of a person. And so that gave them a huge advantage in presidential elections up to the Civil War and even since, if you look at the 11 states of the former Confederacy, they have a, have a total of electoral votes all beyond the, their population, what their population should uh, justify. And, you know, it's, it's not democratic. It's autocratic. Mm-hmm. We, it's not going to happen in our lifetimes. But the Democratic Party should make it a long-term project to get rid of the Electoral College. Yeah, well, I, I think that if we get a decent uh, majority in both houses and retain the presidency, you know, maybe that effort could be started. I just don't know if the, there are enough red states to uh, get a constitutional amendment going. Um, I want to um, thank you for the call. I'm going to try to get in one more quick call. Uh, Laura is on the phone lines calling in from Chicago. Hi, Laura. Thanks for the call today. Oops. Okay. Hello, can you hear me? Hi, Laura. Yes, I okay. can. I, I will be clicking on that link. Thank you for providing that information. My call is primarily to say I don't think it's enough for us to say that um, we know that we can't get a two-thirds majority to our Santos. I think we have to take the vote anyway and tell and say, oh, you voted against the ouster? Is that because, well, thank you for letting us know that you approve of stealing campaign funds and you approve of mm-hmm. all of these lies and uh, crimes that he's committed, if, if they're so proven to be so, and just say thank you for letting us know 
that you approve these criminal and or unethical acts. Yeah, that's a great that's a great okay. comment, Laura. And it would be something that a Democrat could use to um, go after them in the 2024 elections. Uh, thanks for the thought. I'm sorry exactly. I got to kind of wrap this up because we re- really need to get to a break. When we come back, I'm going to be talking with former WLSAM radio talk host, Big John Howell. We'll be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. One of Chicago's most iconic radio hosts was shown the door. Don't you laugh. You be quiet now. Was shown the door in September after a 40-year radio career, in part what he said after publicly radio company stations and especially hosts have to stop peddling lies, fables, conspiracies, and corrosive content under the guise of it's just business. Well, it was uh, too much of that sort of business for Big John Howell, who uh, was fired in September, but in his bio that he sent me said he's currently heard daily by his three dogs who agree with everything he says. And that's not a bad audience, Mr. Howell. That is not a bad audience. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure. This is the first time back since uh, about two and a half months, but it's nice to talk to you again. It's been years since I've talked to you. This is back when you were on TV and I was on music radio. And it's been decades <laughs> since I was on 8.20 a.m. I think the last time was with uh, Mike North and Dan Jiggets. Wow. Yes. Um, I, can't, I can't even remember back that far, Mr. Howell. Those are just very sort of soft-lit, gauzy memories that, yeah, tell <laughs> that me you're about triggering it. right now. Tell me about it. Um, so it, it, this really, it really blew my mind. If I thought there was anybody in radio who was safe, I, I thought it was you. I just, and I know that I was not alone in the, not just the listening circles, but in media circles of, of finding this just jaw-droppingly shocking. Even if you were a bad radio host, which you weren't, you were <laughs> local. And, you know, but yeah. local doesn't seem to bring a lot to the table anymore with these big mega companies, does it? Well, I think it really had to do with, number one, finances. They are very clear about that. As I wrote in one of the pieces that was published, you know, they were very nice about it. The local management and the program director, and I loved my colleagues there, and I thought it was a terrific uh, a terrific studio, a great facility. But, you know, it was basically, look, I wasn't cheap, and I'd been working there for eight or nine years. When I was hired by... WDLS and Cumulus, they were going in a distinctly different direction. The then president of the company hired me, and his intention, he told me straight out, was to essentially go after WGN and be an iconic Chicago radio station. But both these guys, he and his brother, they ran the company at that time. They were bounced in a hostile takeover, for lack of a better term, shortly after I started there. And then they decided to double down on a conservative sort of format, which makes a lot of sense monetarily. And it made sense back in September to let me go, even though they basically had to pay me through the end of my deal, uh, because I cost them money where my replacements don't cost them any money. And you know how that works. But 
syndicated mm-hmm. radio is trade radio. It's a basically barter system. So I, I totally understand why. And, you know, you prepare a daily show, and I did for 40 years, the last 17 of which were talk radio, which is particularly uh, laborious. And I've not missed these sort of Damocles hanging over my head every day to prepare a three, four, five-hour live show. I've enjoyed my time off. It's, it's been nice to recharge after literally 40 years from 83 to 2023. I didn't have a break. This is my first break in 40 years. So I don't really, I don't, there's not a lot of bitterness here, Joan. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. I'm also glad that they are still paying you, but I still <laughs> think it is a huge loss for the Chicago area. I always think that, you know, I, I know that this isn't the case in every town in America, but Chicago, we like our hometown folks. You know, we're, yeah. you know, if we, if we'll listen to somebody who's syndicated, I suppose, but, you know, this is the this is the this is the town that keeps bringing the oldies back. I mean, we got Bob Surratt back. You know, we got John Records Landecker back. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if soon we have Stephen Gary back or, you know, Jonathan Brandmeier. We like local folks. And it seems to me that I know that maybe it was a bottom line decision, but long term for their business, it would seem to me to be a short sighted a decision on their part, but it wasn't just the money. You also felt that um, you were no longer far right enough for the no, no. W- the direction they wanted to take the station. Talk no. to me about what they that's, said that's, to you about that. Well, they just said, look, to be clear, LS or IND or any station, nobody's ever told me what to say. So I want to make clear. I, I said what I believed in. Uh, my opinion lies where it falls. I reserve the right to change my mind on a lot of subjects, which I have over the years. But that being said, it's really clear that I was an outlier at Double the Us. You know, Steve Cochran is doing a morning show. He does a nice local show. I don't mean that uh, I'm not diminishing him. He does a great show, but uh, it's local based. But between 9 a.m. and 3 o'clock, they were syndicated hosts, all of which are kind of cut from the same cloth. And then following me, similarly, uh, two or three hosts all the way around until the next morning. All right. That being said, anybody that listened to me regularly for any sort of time realized that I was quite an outlier. A lot of the stuff I did was very tongue in cheek. I, I thought that January 6th is a momentous moment in American history. I think it's a criminal story that continues. I think it's a huge political story that continues and I refuse to talk about Hunter's laptop because I think that's a distraction. I just don't care. And if I didn't care about something, I didn't put it on my program. Much to the chagrin of program directors, both locally and nationally, and listeners who expected the same sort of product, hour in, hour out, hour in, hour out. They wanted the same sort of hamburger or record played over and over and over. And I didn't fit that. It was clear for several years that I didn't fit there, and certainly since January 6th, I didn't fit there. But I also have a local show at both ends of the day, mornings and afternoons. But I think that uh, the economic considerations and maybe pressure from, I don't know, I don't know this, but uh, maybe pressure from the company decided it wasn't enough and we're going to uh, double down on the format and uh, be that as it may. Be that as it may, 
that's how it's going to continue for the foreseeable future. I sometimes get um, feedback, not so much recently. I think I've, I've worn them all out, but I used to get sometimes feedback from the audience about, I remember one time somebody texted me, um, cause you know, we advertise that we're, you know, progressive talk and somebody said to me, you're not progressive, you're a liberal. And I thought to myself, oh, and I thought yeah. to myself, well, I can live with that, you know, um, when and I assumed what they meant was that I wasn't maybe far enough over to the left, yeah, that I was yeah. getting a little too close to the middle. And, you know, I, so I, I understand that that kind of thinking. And there have been times when I've had um very conservative Democrats like uh, Paul Vallis on. And sometimes people are like, why do you have him on? And I've told them, I said, if all you want is an echo chamber, my show is not the show for you. That is not what I want to do. That's not who I want to be. And we all talk about, oh, the country's so divided. How do we bring the conversation back? And yet when I try to do that, you're like, I don't want to hear this. You know, that's exactly somebody who is more conservative than me and sometimes more liberal than me. That's ex- those are exactly the conversations I want to have. Well, I, I agree with that. And I would catch L on LS for having uh, columns like Neil Steinberg on or, you know, others from Chicago and uh, national guys as well. Um, but I thought it was important. If, if a columnist interests me, if a story interests me, then I thought my listeners would be interested as well. And uh, for the most part, I think I was uh, pretty much on. And I tried to be balanced a lot of times. If I had Neil on, I tried to have somebody from uh, the right on, certainly later in the hour, what have you. My show wasn't a caller-driven show. My show was a contributor-driven show because I lost interest in the same callers over and over and over <laughs> and over and and you know that everybody knows that when I wrote the column about the six year old that was uh, murdered, I'm sorry, allegedly murdered uh, here in Chicago. And well, they were murdered. To, the know, man allegedly. Right. The, the, we won't name the alleged yes. killer, but he was definitely murdered. Okay, good point. Absolutely, clarification accepted. So I wrote that column in Sun Times, saying if true, if he was prompted by a radio talk show host then that radio talk show host and or station and or company, they bear a burden in this. You can't just say, oh, it's all business. We're joking. We didn't think they'd take us seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have to worry about the 99% of your listeners who are well-educated, reasoned. They are great consumers, voracious readers, great consumers of news and talk, and they're not going to be prompted to violent outbursts. But you do have to be concerned about the 1% who are. And every time I would talk about one of these yahoos from January 6th, and I used to do a thing every day called um, Wheels of Justice. So just what's the latest in this guy from Chicago or Illinois, his court case after he was part of January 6th. And people used to be outraged about that. Why don't you talk about Hunter Biden's laptop? I'll stop it. And uh, But I'd always get the call saying, what about, what about, what about, what about? Mm-hmm. The man who shot at the Republicans years ago while they were they were at baseball practice. He was a downstate Illinoisan who was uh, apparently a Bernie Sanders uh, supporter, right? So, okay, there's crazies both far right and far left. But if you trigger them, if you break the stupid, you own the stupid, period. You can't just be, 
oh, I, I just said it on the radio. I didn't think anybody would take me seriously. It's all satire. Mm-hmm. Well, it isn't, well, it's not, right? Yep. Well, and we've seen that. I remember back when Alex Jones was uh, in court fighting for custody of his kids, and uh, he and his lawyer, when his wife, uh, ex-wife, pointed out some of the insane things that he said during his show, he and his lawyer said in open court, Your Honor, I am, um, I'm, it's theater. I, I do theater. It is a performance. It's not real. Everybody knows it's not real. Um, and I am just, um, I'm just doing political theater to entertain people. And as much as saying, look, I, it's lies. I know it's lies, but those lies get me an audience. They make me money. And, uh, but I don't want any, any responsibility. I don't want to lose my kids because you think I actually believe the crap I talk about. I mean, come on, judge. You'd have to be stupid to believe the crap I talk about. And I'm thinking to myself, is nobody, is anybody paying attention to this? Is anybody who listens to Alex Jones? Um, looking at what he's saying at trial, and we see this time and, and time again when, when somebody's feet are held to the fire. Well, even in the Dominion, um, suit, when it came out in texts and emails yeah. that yeah. the hosts don't believe what they're saying. And their defense was, well, in the evening, they're not news shows, they're entertainment shows, they're opinion shows. And so the, the, the standard of, of what constitutes a lie is so very low, don't you know, John? Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's all, I believe this and you should be mad about this until somebody holds my feet to the fire. And then it's like, oh, you stupid person, you believed that? Come on. No, we've had satire around since the beginning of the Republic, so I understand that. And newspapers used to be the talk radio today. You'd have uh, uh, Democrat newspapers and Republican newspapers, Whig newspapers, uh, know-nothing newspapers. So it's a long history of this in America. The problem is now, uh, I think we're amped up to a level now where the crazies can find each other, thanks to Al Gore's Internet, thanks. So the crazies (laughs) can all find each other, right? And they uh, they can affect change. Where we, I grew up in a very, very conservative town in Michigan, um, Holland, Michigan. So, you know, the Romneys, the Millicans, uh, the Vosses, uh, the Princes, um, you know, a very conservative Republican town. Uh, uh, who, our former Secretary of Defense uh, uh, during Bush's administration. Was that Rumsfeld? From Omet. Yeah, Rumsfeld. He had, a, he had a summer home there, too. And my dad was a local pharmacist, so he knew all these guys. But... We always knew that there were crazy John Birchers, and everybody would just kind of raise their eyebrows and say, yeah, yeah, you don't pay much attention to him. He's fine. And also, conversely, there were crazy lefties, too. So, But now, because of our technology and because of the way we're set up, uh, and because I think you know enablers and the donor class and the media can use this to their own advantages, uh, you can stir these people up, and then all of a sudden something bad is going to happen, whether it's January 6th, or the shooting at the Republican baseball team, or the poor kid here in Chicago, you can't just at that point say, um, well, you know, we're, we're actors, we're actresses, we're, we're, mm-hmm. this is fiction. And, you know, I mean, crazies were Dostoevsky and Crime and Punishment, right? I mean, there's, there's crazies that were prompted by that work of fiction centuries ago. But it, you, you can't just use that as an excuse. With a microphone comes some responsibility. 
and you, you better do it. And I, I don't know much about Alex Jones, but I, I love the parody on the Howard Stern show. I'll say that. Makes me laugh. Uh, I, um, I don't get serious, XM. What, can you tell me about the parody? <laughs> oh, it's just a very, very good bit. Very good parody of Alex Jones. Does he Jones pretend to be Alex Jones? No, no, it's not Stern. It's one of his, one of his uh, oh. contributors. It's, nice. it's, it's, it's terrific. And uh, I hear that from time to time. But that's, and that's what I've seen in the news, him in a courtroom. Uh, but I'm not really a consumer of that, and uh, so I, I don't know much about it. Uh, speaking of um, what you do consume, are you on social media? Not very much, uh, because, um, you know, I, I, I try to spend some time writing a few op-eds and submitting them, uh, but I, I don't know where to go for social media. I'm, I'm trying threads. I kind of repost things that I find interesting. I'm trying to stay away from Twitter, to be honest with you. I still have a Facebook yeah, page. But, you know, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not doing very much right now. I'm, I'm lecturing to my three dogs every day, and <laughs> we're renovating this old house. It's an old stone and plaster house, and I'm glad that the, the phone connection is good in here. But, you know, it's a money pit, so every day there's something new. In other words, it's a house. Yeah, I, I told my uh, lovely wife, I said, next time we buy something, that's going to be brand spanking news. No, I don't want to ever hear the word charming when it comes to real <laughs> estate ever, 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 ever again. Yeah, uh, I hear you. Hey, you said something, John, that I, I want to go back to. You were talking about the donor class. And recently yeah. I've been talking about that. I've given up any hope that Republicans who are, who are in elected office will stand up and say what they really believe, you know, the kinds of things they say privately to other Republicans and sometimes to other reporters, but it's always private. It's always on the on the down low. I've given up on them finding some kind of courage or spine. But, you know, my thought has been by all of the media accounts, uh, a lot of big pocketed, deep pocketed Republican donors are getting together to get behind this no labels group, which I think is a disaster in the making. If the Republicans in office can't be courageous, why can't the Republican donors, they, you know, say to somebody, yes, I still want my tax cuts, but I also don't want any more violent insurrections. And I want to get my money behind people who believe in facts and that Joe Biden is the free and fairly elected president at this time. I still want my tax cuts. I still want, you know, my business, whatever it is, to be deregulated. But I'm tired of the crazy. Maybe what the lawmakers can't seem to find the courage to do, the rich Republicans could make happen. And yet they don't seem to be able to find their courage either. I can't understand that. Well, billionaires didn't become billionaires, Joan, by throwing the money uh, after bad causes. You know, when they say uh, good money after bad, there's a, a couple guys who I'm familiar with, well, you're familiar with. I mean, I, I don't know them personally very well, but Ken Griffin gubernatorially went against, um, um, what's a downstate farmer? I forgot his name. I'm sorry. Uh, Darren so, Bailey? Yes. Right, no. You know, he put his money into the Aurora mayor, a lot of money, $50 million dollars. Uh, Ron Gidwitz, who's a big Republican, deep-pocketed donor on the North Shore, he recently publicly uh, said he's going to back Chris Christie uh, because he is done with Donald Trump. He was Donald Trump's ambassador, right? He was the ambassador to the EU. But I think most of these guys are holding their fire 
you know, and keeping their checkbooks closed because they realize that even if they like Nikki Haley, even if they like uh, uh, Chris Christie and DeSantis, he seems to be a wilting flower. But, um, you know, they, they don't they don't they're not staying rich by throwing good money after bad. I I understand that. But if you're willing to write uh, in Ken, in Ken's case, you know, he was an early supporter of DeSantis and then he sort of pulled back. Now he's um, talking like he's going to start opening up his checkbook for Nikki Haley. You know, the Koch brothers put together that um, super conservative, yeah. super rich people fund. Get, you know, those people can set the agenda. I mean, I can't believe that even um, the farthest right of the deep pocketed, uh, you know, the, maybe the, the Uline family. Do they really want democracy as we know it to be over? Because Donald Trump has laid out his plan. He's going to gut civil service. He's going to get rid of all the political appointees. He's going to go after his enemies. He wants the executive branch to be more powerful than the other two branches of government. I mean, is this really what they want? I mean, are they willing to sacrifice democracy to get another tax cut? Well, in the in the case of the Ulines, I think they're true believers from what I've read and what I've heard and watching their donations. I think they're true, true uh, believers. The others that I mentioned, I think probably a little bit more pragmatic. Um, look, here's the thing, and this is what you and your audience have to keep in mind. You have 70 million people that voted twice for Donald Trump. 20 million of the 70 million are true believers. They're sycophants through and through. He's an orange god to about 20 million people. Walk out on Fifth Avenue, shoot anybody, they won't care. Okay, so we've seen that over and over and over. When you go through his record, I mean, he has 91 counts against him, 26 sexual assault uh, allegations, six bankruptcies, what else? Uh, five draft deferments, four indictments, two impeachments. His company's been convicted. His fake Seven universe, pipers shut piping, down. yeah. I... yeah. I mean, it's on and on and on. You know, the, the 12 days of Trump here. So out of, the, out of the 70 million that voted for him, I think 50 million held their nose twice. The good news is here for America is 85 million people hate his guts. Here's what the Democrats have to do. You better get the younger people engaged and out there. And you better stuff the crazies in the closet so you don't scare away the other people that are willing to vote Democrat coming up next November. You know, so far, Trump has lost, Right. He lost 20, he lost 22. Most recent elections we saw, the Democrats did very, very well. The Republican message and the Republican essentially, you know, war on Christmas for lack of descript- you know, a better descriptor, the, the transgenders are coming to get us all and uh, uh, we've we got to keep uh, uh, this, that, and the other out of the schools and the, uh, clean the books out of the library. That message doesn't resonate with most Americans. It doesn't. It, 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 it uh, roils their base which is great for primaries, which is great for fundraising, which is great for social media. But it doesn't win elections if the Democrats can turn out the younger people. I have uh, nine nieces and nephews, several of which, including my daughter and my son, are of uh, voting age. And it's tough to get them to even follow this because they're disgusted about it. They're on social media. They, they have very, very narrow view, views of what's going on. And you can't get them to vote early. Or get out and vote on the day. That's what the Democrats' biggest uh, hurdle is, is energizing not only their base, but the peripherals uh, that are more likely to vote Democrat than this version of what is a Republican Party, which is no longer a Republican Party. It's a Trumpian party. So Democrats have a great opportunity here 
But you've got to bring over the people that are center-right, keep your center-left, that's your base, marginalize your crazies, and write off the 20 million sycophants. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a, like a good plan to go forward on. Uh, John, taking a, a step back and looking at our business, I keep reading that the only thing that matters going forward into the future is uh, digital media, that radio and television are, if not dead, certainly dying. What do you think about that? By and large, I agree. I think... Uh I think there was somebody, uh, uh, who's the guy that runs, um, they're called the Young Turks. I, 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 oh, I yeah. forgot his name. I'm sorry. He wrote a piece that I found at Barrett, Barrett Media today, Barrett Media, and uh, essentially talking about how he does everything based on YouTube. And sure, there's terrestrial stations that cover his show, and sure, he's on every platform. He named all the platforms he's on. And I think you have to basically start there at this point. I think that's uh, very, very important. And I've been a, a very late arrival to that, but I realize how important it is. And if and when I decide to get back into this game on kind of a daily basis, it'll probably start there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, speaking of Barrett Media, uh, Jim Avila, who used to be a local uh, Chicago yeah. reporter and then worked for yeah. years for the network, he retired and he started writing for Barrett Media. And then I just saw on social media last week, he posted, retirement is boring. I'm going back to work. So there's a, a television station, I think in San Diego, he's been yeah. uh, hired as their like chief investigative reporter. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, John, you're not going to want to do home repairs for the rest well, of your Joan, time on clear, this planet. Just to, just to be clear, I'm not doing the home repairs. Oh. I'm, just, I'm just paying for the home repairs. Oh, I see. You're doing I the wish. point, fix this, fix this kind of home repair. I get well, it. I say, I say, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? How much will it cost? Inevitably, it's going to cost three times as much. And I just, uh, I just basically say, well, uh, today we have the... Uh, I realized that my kitchen was at 75 degrees even when the heat was off. And it turns out, I'm like, something's wrong with the thermostat. It turns out, no, it's a bigger job. Something's wrong with the damper in the oh. attic. So on and on it goes. I got a little sewer issue. I got a little deck issue. I, uh, my my gutters are pitched the wrong way. Um, <laughs> it, we have uh, doors that don't close. We have locks that don't lock. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> Well, I, it may be interesting, but um, I think that at some point you need an audience bigger than your three dogs, and yours is a voice that still has a lot to say, and I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing what you have to say, Mr. Howell. Well, the Humane Society has offered me a weekend job, but I have to, I have to pay for the hour, so I'm, I'm going to think about that. <laughs> Are your three dogs, dogs rescues? Really like what, the dogs seem to really like what I have to say. So I'm thinking about uh, going to Paws Chicago and maybe, uh, you know, bartering for an hour or two, and I'll, I'll do my show right on Clybourne Avenue Saturday afternoons. Well, I have found that um, dogs and cats are a very, very good audience, and sometimes a very, very vocal audience, but definitely, <laughs> you know, definitely love that. They never criticize they, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. They never say that you're not progressive, you're liberal. They just love me how I am. Uh, uh, yeah, the labels are an issue, aren't they? Yeah. 
Um, John, this has been wonderful. I would love to um, have another discussion with you sometime in the future if you get tired of uh, the home repair business. So um, thank you for joining us today. Well, my pleasure. Nice catching up with you. Nice being on this frequency again. And uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And to you as well. We are going to take a break for news. We're going to be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. This coming Thursday is, of course, Thanksgiving. One of the times of year when we are most likely to get everybody together and cook a meal that is way too big. Uh, which leads me to the question that you might have, which is, how do I avoid making last year's mis- mistakes? Um, I will give you my input on that. Don't cook. Just don't hardly make anything. Just buy it all somewhere. But if you are so inclined, if you feel it's part of the holiday to cook, uh, there may be some issues that we can help you. Well, not we, actually, Shelly Young can help you. I, I can't help you with anything when it comes to these things. Uh, Shelly Young, the founder of The Chopping Block, joins us now uh, to talk about the issues that she sees people having with Thanksgiving. Shelly, how are you? I don't know why you don't have a comedic show, Joan. You make me laugh so much. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, I think I'm funny, but my family does not always agree, and I find that shocking. I do, too. Yeah. I do, too. So I know that you sent me this whole list of things that people have trouble with, and um, part of the reason why I buy Thanksgiving dinner is because I've had pretty much each and every one of these problems. For instance, thawing the turkey properly. There is no worse feeling in the world than getting up and realizing that there isn't enough time. Forget cooking. There isn't enough time to thaw the bird before your guests come. Uh, yeah. So how do we do it? Well, today is the perfect day to have this conversation. Just buy your turkey this weekend and put it in the fridge. You'll be fine. Really? Don't find it won't go bad? Or, it, will, it will just be, it'll just be thawed by Thanksgiving. You know, like a 20-pound turkey takes about five days to thaw in the fridge. You're kidding me. Well, no yeah, wonder and- I messed this up. I was thinking, <laughs> I'll get up early in the morning. I'll put the turkey out. It'll thaw. Then I'll cook it. Good yeah, grief. and you don't really want to thaw that, you know, and that's why there's so many issues with foodborne illness and stuff with Thanksgiving because the turkey's not thawed uh, properly. So then it's like, oh, I'll just leave it out on the porch and the squirrels eat it or, Ew. you know, <laughs> or you put it in the bathtub and, you know, you're running the hot water over it. These things are just not <laughs> ideal. Um, Five days in the fridge for a 20-pound yeah. turkey. Uh, by the way, yeah. how many people does a 20-pound turkey serve? I usually figure about two pounds per person. Um, and that is because in, you, if you have a 20-pound turkey, you don't get 20 pounds of turkey, as you know. A good 12, uh, you know, about half that weight is bone and, you mm-hmm. know, discarding, you know. So, and you want a little leftover. So I think that's a pretty good uh, a range. 
about two pounds per person. All right. If you're buying your turkey this weekend, put it in the fridge so it is ready to cook. Um, yeah. I have a thermometer, uh, a meat thermometer, but whenever I try to use it, I'm never sure I'm putting it in the right place. Where do you yeah. place a meat thermometer? Well, I use the kind that you don't, for a turkey, I'm going to use the kind that I don't leave in the turkey, but I, unless it's one that has a little probe where you can keep the, um, the little digital um, thermometer outside and the probe is in the turkey, um, I use, if you're just using an instant read where you put it in, um, you open the oven every once in a while and, and check it. We check it in the thigh. That's what I'm most concerned about because that's the part of the turkey that cooks the last. Breast the thigh. cooks the first. The thigh cooks the last. And you should be concerned. It is hard to get. I don't get the thermometer in the right spot all the time. So what I do is I'll open up the oven. Let, don't even bother checking the temperature of the turkey for an hour and a half or so. But um, you, you'll take the, open up the oven, uh, take the turkey out, or just leave it open if the turkey's really heavy for you, and to put it in the thigh. You're kind of put it in, in the crease where the leg meets the thigh. And I do mention this later, you know, in some of my notes I sent you, but I want to say the choppingblock.com. If you go there, we have a whole bunch of videos. And one of them is how to cook a turkey, how to carve a turkey. So, you know, um, how to make mashed potatoes, how to make pie dough, how to make stuffing, how to make cranberry sauce. So, and it has recipes there. So you can get some ideas if you're looking for them. Um, but then you can see the visual of where to put that thermometer. Is um, it a problem? Really I never know if it's supposed to just be in the thick of the meat or if it's a problem. If, if you put it in and you feel that it's up against the bone, does that mean it won't register? You want to be, yeah, you want to be away from the bone. So, you know, kind of in the thickest, meatiest part of the thigh, which is, again, where that bend is on the thigh, where there's the thigh and the leg connect, kind of in that area. And, and once you hit the bone, you've gone a little too far, so pull it back a bit. And I usually just recommend putting it in multiple times. And you're looking for the lowest reading. You so, mean you take it, you look at the reading, you take it out, you put it somewhere else, and you wait till yep, it yep, registers and yep, you put it somewhere else? Yep. Right, it, which is why I like an instant read thermometer, because... Just it takes a few seconds. You don't want this to be taking a really long time, letting all the heat out of the oven and everything. Um, and so, yeah, the instant read thermometers, and you just keep putting them in because you're looking. I'm assuming I put it in the wrong spot. So, Joan, you're not alone. Okay. I'm assuming I'm assuming I put it in the wrong spot. <laughs> so I'm going to check it in a couple spots until I kind of get the lowest reading, and that is where I'm going to assume the lowest reading is the correct reading. My mom used to say, no matter what, whether I was baking or, or cooking something, she said, every time you open the oven door, you lose three minutes of heat. So she would check something, close the door, and then add three minutes to her cooking time. Uh, did she make that up? Do ovens today still uh, lose three minutes uh, of heat? Well, I, I've never heard that before. It's really? an interesting way to think about it, but it absolutely does lose heat. Now, a turkey is very different than making cookies. 
So um, cookies just take a matter of minutes. So that temperature loss is more critical to a, a tray of cookies than it is to your turkey. Because uh, turkeys take hours to make. So I wouldn't really worry about the timing of your turkey. But, yeah, it sure slows down the cooking. If you're checking the turkey every five minutes, that's probably, you don't need to do that. Once your turkey reaches about 160 degrees in the thigh, then it's going to start to cook more quickly. That last 20 degrees is going to move the quickest. So that's when I go, oh, I better get the mashed potatoes boiling um, and have that, you know, like I'm going to start to think about, okay, we're getting close. Dinner's going to mm-hmm. be on the table in an hour or so. That's, that's just that's a really good um, measure. Um, you know, that turkey will be done and it depend, most people don't have two ovens. So um, if you don't have two ovens, you have to take the turkey out and then get the stuffing in. If you haven't stuffed the bird. If you stuff the bird, that kind of slows down the, uh, dries out the breath and kind of slows down the cooking too. It takes a, a lot longer, but people love a stuffed bird. So if you love it, just know you're going to sacrifice uh, a moist um, breath. Really? You'd think it, I would think mm. it would be more moist because you have all this wet stuff in the middle that wouldn't that no, be exuding moisture it, as it cooks? Well, not, it doesn't really, anything in the cavity. It, it it mostly affects what's underneath, not what's above. Hmm. Um, and what it does is it slows down the cooking of the thigh and the legs, everything on the bottom. And because the, the breast is just sitting on top of the cavity. So it kind of cooks in the same way it always does, which is why a lot of people will tent or cover their turkey. Because it creates a more moist environment. So I usually, if you're going to stuff the bird, I usually would recommend covering it because that does help the breast from drying out. But doesn't, if you tent it, doesn't that mean it doesn't get brown? It will eventually, but it doesn't brown as well. A lot of times you can, you, you can either start by browning it a little bit and then covering it. You know, so um, you can start your t- turkey at like maybe 450 degrees to get a little bit of, you know, the nice brown on the outside then reduce the temperature and cover it. Hmm. I'm not an expert at that because I don't normally do it, but I do. I love a, I do love the stuffing out of a stuffed bird. It's quite delicious. My daughter, I, you know, I was um, getting all this food from a restaurant, and and my daughter was like, "Oh, are you getting stuffing from the restaurant too?" And I was like, "Well, I was going to." I was like, "Why? Is there something you really like?" And she said, "Mom, I really like stovetop stuffing." Uh, I. <laughs> So I don't know. I may be getting a, a box of stovetop stuffing just because it's something that doesn't um, get a lot of respect. Doesn't mean it doesn't taste good. So, I- oh my gosh, my my favorite shopping block story. I'll make it quick. I, there was a couple in the store. They were there. They looked like they were you know, happy on, you know, celebrating something. I said, are you celebrating something? And they said, yeah, our 50-year anniversary. And I said, well, what, you know, well, tell me, what's the secret to 50 years of marriage? And they said, in tandem, together, they both said the same thing. Oh, we both like the same kind of stuffing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no wonder I've never had a long-term relationship that worked out that happily. (laughs) 
Now I know. But it's true. It's people never been like me. <laughs> people like the stuffing they like. It is their family, their mom stuffing. That's what they want. That's what they like. You know, everything oh else can God. go, but that one's got to happen. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break, and Shelley Young will be back with more cooking advice and marital advice when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Shelly Young from the Chopping Block is here, and we are talking about ways that you can avoid trouble this Thanksgiving. She mentioned that there are videos available on the Chopping Block website to tell you how to make certain things and giving you certain recipes. There's also a couple of hands-on classes at the Chopping Block in Lincoln Square that you can sign up for um, to help you with some of your Thanksgiving skills. Or you can call me and I will tell you which, which restaurants you can still order from um, and get it on time, though I will say the number is dwindling at this point in time. One of the things that was on your list for Thanksgiving, and you just mentioned it, was making mashed potatoes, that when the turkey gets to the point where you think you've got like another hour, it's time to start the mashed potatoes. And I will share a restaurant story from many years ago. There was a fairly fancy restaurant that had mashed potatoes on the menu, and I ordered it once, and I have never had better mashed potatoes in my life. And anytime I used to go there, I used to tell everybody at the table, <clears throat> they had to get the mashed potatoes and everybody loved them. <laughs> Finally, I took a waiter aside and I was like, oh my God, what is so great about these mashed potatoes? And he looked at me and he said, we use a ton of butter. <laughs> so yeah. that's, is that the secret? I do think so. Absolutely. It, it really makes a good mashed potato butter, um, and even and some people will use half and half instead of milk. Um, you know, the more rich stuff you put in there, the better. Mmm, makes me hungry just thinking about it. Are you a smoothed or a lumpy mashed potato person? I'll take them any way you give them to me. Honestly. <laughs> I will eat a mashed potato. I'm not sure I've ever had a mashed potato that I turned away, but um, I, I, I think I like the creamy. I do like the Yukon gold potatoes or the red potatoes that really create that sweet kind of creamy texture and then lots of butter and a good amount of salt. Salt really also helps. You know, I have to say, well, this isn't going to shock you, um, that I'm always confused by the different kinds. There's so many different kinds of potatoes, red ones, gold ones, fingerlings, russets, uh, Idaho. Um, and I always just kind of guess as to what potato to do what with. Is there like a rule of thumb? There really is kind of two categories of potatoes. So that should simplify for you. Um, there's all kinds of shapes and sizes, but there's two categories, mealy and waxy. Uh, russets and Idaho's are really the same thing. They're a, a russet potato is a mealy potato, so that creates that drier kind of fluffy. When we used to, I always had that when I was a kid. We didn't, re- I didn't really see Yukon Golds or when I was a kid, and I don't think anybody thought much about making mashed potatoes out of red potatoes, but. Um, those mealy potatoes, you would whip them and make them kind of airy because they're drier. And then all the other potatoes, red, Yukon's, fingerlings, 
those, you know, they have a smooth kind of a waxy exterior. Those are all considered waxy potatoes. And those create that dense, creamy, kind of slightly sweet texture in whatever they do. So what's the best potato for mashed potatoes? You can use, it depends on how how you like your mashed potatoes. If you oh. like whipped, airy potatoes, that's a russet type of potato. If you like dense, creamy, smooth, you're going to go for a red or a Yukon gold, a waxy potato. Um, and they and have a sometimes I see heirloom tomatoes, which can be purple and other colors, Um I sometimes get them, just I'm not really sure the best way to prepare them. Would they be mealy or waxy, the heirlooms, or does it vary? Well, the purple potatoes are a waxy potato also, um, and but they have just a little bit, bit of different texture. Um, but, you know, I think that I, I'm not sure about any other heirloom potato. It would depend on the variety, but you can tell by the skin. Is the skin smooth? Or is it kind of rough? Like oh. I think of a Idaho or a russet. If it's kind of rough, that's a russet variety. If it's smooth, it's a waxy variety. And could you please lay to rest once and for all? If you have baking potatoes and under the skin they get a little bit of a green layer, is that, should you get rid of that? I always just figure, what the heck, in for a penny, in for a pound, and I eat it. But, you know, that's just me. <laughs> but I've heard people say, oh, that's like poison. You should never eat the green part. I'm not really sure. I remove the green part if there's a green part. Um, but I don't think it, you know, as long as it's removed, I don't think there's anything, you know, it's not like, it's like mold on cheese. Half the uh, time, you know, people just, I just cut it off or whatever. And some people don't, you know, but I don't, I, I do not think it's dangerous. I just would cut well, it off. I'm still here. So obviously if it's dangerous, <laughs> uh, it hasn't killed me yet. But I'm also yeah. one of those people, if I pull cheese out of the fridge and there's a little bit of mold on it, I well, just. Cut that off and use the unmoldy part. Well, let me tell you what it is, why it is green, because that might be, that might help. Really, it's just too much exposure to light. It's kind of like if you leave a potato, you peel a potato and you leave it out, it'll turn brown. If Uh you leave a a potato, an unpeeled potato out in, in in a room, Uncovered, not in a, a dark. It likes dark storage. It turns green from the light. So light can't really be that bad of a thing, you know, something that just had too much light. Yeah. You know? So can't be that bad. Am, am I wrong to keep my potatoes out on the kitchen island? Should I have them in I a would, dark I, place? I keep mine in a dark place. Absolutely. Oh. I, huh. I, you could never be wrong in my mind. I don't. <laughs> Well, the question is, if I put them in a nice dark place, um, how many months do you think they'll sit there before I remember that that's oh. where they are? Hmm. A very long time. <laughs> yeah. A very long time. If it's if it's kind of warm, they might sprout in there. But yeah, you know, p- potatoes are harvested in the fall. You know, or excuse me, I mean not the fall in the in, in midsummer. Like I I grow my own potatoes, and I harvested them end of July, beginning of August. I put them in my refrigerator. In um, I have a big refrigerator, so I have room to do that. I put them in um, um, either uh, brown paper bags or in muslin, and they keep all until I harvest the next year. Wow. 
Okay. And especially because mine is so fresh. They're, they're like, they're amazingly fresh in a, within a, like in a year. Um, a couple more questions uh, in the in the two or three minutes we have left. Let's talk briefly about sides. Any advice or any warnings for any of the typical Thanksgiving sides? Um, I would say a couple of quick points. Uh, the stuffing, if you are stuffing your bird, take the temperature of the stuffing. It should uh-huh. be at least, yeah, at least 165 degrees. Because then you know that if it has turkey juice, you know, like in the stuffing, it is mm-hmm. killed 65. So that is a little safety thing for your stuffing. Um, make whatever you can in advance. Like my potatoes, I peel them and keep them in water the day before. You, if you have room to keep the pot in the in the uh, refrigerator, I just put it in the refrigerator and keep it there. When I'm ready, I you know I can pull it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, make your cranberry sauce. If, if you make cranberry sauce, you can make that this weekend. It'll be fine. It lasts forever for weeks. So you could make it way in advance if you um, just to have it done. Um, I love um, roasted root vegetables. I also love them because I can peel them and have them all ready. So I just, you know, you know, you know, right when I start the potatoes, when I usually start my root vegetables, like I peel. You know, I love to do um, carrots and parsnips. Um, so that's really one of my favorites. Um, and, you know, even my green beans, if you want to do fresh green beans, I like to, uh, blanch them, which means just kind of plunge them in or steam them for a few minutes and then chill them in some ice water to stop the cooking. And then they will cook really quickly just as a quick saute right before Thanksgiving. So it's all, you know, it's kind of done. So I guess my main advice for sides is get as much of that done as possible because I think the hardest part of Thanksgiving really is there's crunch time. Making the Mm -hmm. gravy, mashing the potatoes and carving the turkey and then getting all the food out all at once. So as much of the sides that can be done in advance, it's very helpful, I think. If you're going to use your oven to keep things warm, let's say you've made a bunch of sides or you've got the turkey done early, um, obviously you don't want to keep your oven really hot because otherwise everything dries out. If you just want to keep things warm till they get to the table, what would that be? Would you set your oven at 150, 190, 200? 250, 250 two, two, about 250, 275, something like that. Really? That's not too yeah, because- hot? No, it, it, food at about 200 degrees is a bit tepid hmm, in really? temperature-wise. Yeah. Think oh. of like, um, I know you're not a, a steak eater, but if, are any of our listeners, like if you eat like a medium-rare steak, one of the definitions of that is it's cool in the center. And it is about 120, 125 degrees. So it's actually cool. You know, body temperature, you know, we're about 100 degrees approximately. Um, so, um, you know, you, it, it, the interior of mouth is like 100 degrees. So you, you huh. really need yeah. about 250 is kind of the lowest, you know, kind of the lowest, I think. Okay. Well, that's, thank you. That is all very valuable information. And um, I thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us, Shelley Young from The Topping Block. Have a great Thanksgiving, Shelley. You too. Thank you. We will try. 
Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with more good news you need to know about Thanksgiving when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I was just talking with Shelley Young from the Chopping Block about um, food and uh, interesting, healthy, safe food preparation for Thanksgiving. This is um, one of the most, if not the most, food-centric holiday we celebrate in this country. But not everybody uh, has access to the kinds and quantities of food that um, some of us take for granted. It is a time of year when food pantries are really uh, hit hard. If you have the opportunity to use either your computer or your phone uh, to use the Googles, you can Google food pantry near me. And then if you like to really be a good donor, give them a call. Find out. Most food pantries will tell you, well, you know, we've got um, 47,000 boxes of rice aroni, but we sure could use, you know, 10 pounds of butter so people can really cook it the way it's supposed to be cooked. They will let you know, especially if the food pantry has a refrigerator. Lots of times there are perishables you can donate that you might think otherwise would uh, not work at a food pantry. This is also the time of year when a lot of organizations get together to raise money to just give food boxes away. The Wheeling and Buffalo Grove Rotaries have come together. They're going to be giving food boxes away to at least 150 of their residents. They've been doing it for 20 years. And one of the people who is going to be overseeing this event is the Buffalo Grove Battalion Chief for their fire department, Sean Collins, who joins us now to talk about the food giveaway. Sean, thanks for being here. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me. So how does this work? How, do people have to sign up or register in advance if they feel they need food for Thanksgiving? Yes. So what happens is we reach out to the local school districts, the police social workers. We've got about uh four school districts, five school districts we work with, and then the social workers give us names. They distribute forms for us, and then they send them in to me, and I tabulate all the names, and then we create a list and advise people, and then they come and pick them up from us uh, when we distribute them. What do they get in these boxes? Uh, they get all the staples. Um, they're, uh, um, we, we give them probably, we give away uh, this year, I think, about $7,000, $9,000 worth of food, I believe, by the time we're done. Um, all the staples, um, you know, rice, pasta, uh, vegetables. And then uh, this year we've done something as well um, through the, the one local vendor in our community, Garden Fresh uh, Foods, is uh, actually donating all the food. And then, wow. um, yeah, one of the gentlemen uh, who runs a restaurant, who's a member of our Rotary, uh, Pete uh, from the Continental Restaurant, has uh, put a thing out in his restaurant where people come in and residents, uh, he put signs up and are given $20 a person to buy a turkey for the families as well. And so we're at about 1800 of our $2,100 goal to pay for the turkeys. And so this year, every family will get a turkey with stuffing and potatoes and corn, along with the food boxes, and then with another $40 worth of gift certificates for the, the Garden Fresh Market as well. 
That's wonderful. How long, I know this has been going on for a couple of decades. How long have you been involved with this project? Um, well, we've, we've been doing this since 1982, so I believe this is our 40s second year. Uh, I have been involved with the program since 2009, but I've been running it for the past four years. So uh, do people go to rotary meeting locations or do they go to the Buffalo Grove Fire Department to pick this these boxes of food up? Uh, we actually have a distribution site. We're working with the local high school. Uh, so Buffalo Grove High School has been gracious to provide us uh, their facility for the third year in a row. After COVID, we had to do something different. So we've got great partnerships and collaboration with, with all the local school districts and, and Buffalo Grove High School. There's no exception. They've been wonderful. Well, aside from your relationship with the Rotary, I know um, with what you do for a living as the Buffalo Grove Fire Department Battalion Chief, you get out and you see all the different areas and all the different neighborhoods. How would you compare the need this year with what you've seen in the past? Um, you know what? I would say it's, it's still tremendous, and I would have to say it's certainly growing. Um, you know, really? we, we, we get, yeah, we, we, you know, the food pantries, I, I heard what, what you were saying about the food pantries is absolutely 100% true. We in Buffalo Grove, who, we're, we're a great community. We have, there's at least three food pantries uh, that service the local area from the north side to the uh, one on the south side, one in the center of town. And they service all the areas, not just Buffalo Grove. But, um, I mean, the, there's there's a, a lot of people who are just, uh, who can use a hand. And, and our goal is to provide that. And, and we do it every year at Thanksgiving. Our goal is to just try and make somebody's Thanksgiving a little better. When you talk to the people who are the recipients of this generosity, what are some of the things that they say to you? You know, we, we, we get a lot of uh, a lot of gratitude, a lot of thank yous, a lot of bless yous, which is, is always greatly appreciated. But just overwhelmed, um, some tears. Uh, there's one family that we uh, we see on our, uh, you know for the past few years, and just the the gratitude coming from them, it it, it truly does. You know, you you give. You get through giving, right? Um, and to be able to, to make a difference in people's lives, um, the, I guess the best way to describe it is just pure gratitude. Hmm. So, And are, are the members of the fire department involved? Or do they um, do any of this distribution? We, uh, well, we, we used to deliver a few years ago before COVID. We would deliver and go out uh, to people's houses, but... With COVID, we kind of dialed it back, so yeah. now they come to us. It's a little more controlled. We have uh, firefighters that volunteer their time to uh, help uh, pack the food boxes when we pack them. Um, and, you know, uh, just different ways that uh, they help. We get police officers to help. The uh, police department social worker um, gives us names. Uh, you know, it, it truly is a community effort. Public Works uh, provides us resources. Um, and Rotary is a uh, is a, if is a group that is made up of business professionals throughout the community, and in Buffalo Grove, we're fortunate that we've got police chiefs, we've got uh, library board directors, we've got um, people from the village, myself within the fire department, um, and so all those people are bringing resources together along with the business people that are in the group. How can my listeners help? Do you still need donations? Yes, ma'am. Uh, the the best way that they can do it there's there's probably two different ways. Um, seek us out uh, Buffalo Grove Rotary on the internet or on Facebook. 
Um, however, if they have the opportunity to go in or to call the Continental Restaurant in Buffalo Grove uh, and talk to Pete, he's, uh, he's got his thing right there, um, takes charge cards, takes donations, um, and whatever people are willing to provide, we, uh, we greatly appreciate. And any food, we, we pack extra boxes. Um, there's always a need. There's always more names than boxes. And so mm-hmm. we try and provide to them. And then if we do have people that do not show up, we take the remaining food to the food pantries. And so nothing goes it, it, to waste. No, ma'am. And if I can make uh, one point when, I was, uh, when you were speaking about food pantries and donating to them and your thoughts of donating to food pantries, uh, they're, they're always in need. But one of the things that they've uh, shared with us is money goes farther than us just delivering food. Because they have an economy of scale where they they get they have um, I guess breaks with the local distributors. So the money that they spend at a at a at a distributor goes much farther than me going into the grocery store buying food and bringing it to them. Well, I've heard that I've heard that before. That a lot of times uh, places that sell groceries will give food pantries a discount. So a dollar that you and I spend in the grocery store might end up being like a dollar 40 or even a dollar 50 if it is spent by the food pantry. Yes, ma'am. That is, uh, that is absolutely correct. And, um, you know, and, uh, I, I suppose if we have the opportunity, you know, when we find people, uh, the programs in the grocery stores where people can buy meals uh, for um, families, uh, for us, um, Galan at Garden Fresh Foods, the fact that he's donated, I think this is probably the fifth or sixth year that he's given us thousands of dollars worth of food. And um, the, the, the philanthropists in the community that go over and above, um, really, it's, it's a good thing to see. And, and we try and partner with them whenever we can and appreciate them when we can. You know, I, um, I heard about what you were doing from uh, David Hochberg. Um, he uh, he comes on all big and blustery, but he's got a real soft, ooey gooey center. That guy, doesn't he? Yes, uh, yes, he very much. He's um, he's 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 very interesting. He's hilarious, but yeah, he uh, he certainly has a soft side. Yeah, uh, and uh, thank you, Mister Hockberg, for uh, putting me in touch with Sean Collins. Sean, anything you need my listeners to to know as we wrap this up? No, uh, you know, just thank you for the support. If they have the opportunity to give, you know, I would say knowing you have a, a wide audience, it doesn't have to be in Buffalo Grove. If you're in Buffalo Grove, by all means, please uh, come out to the Continental and, and, and if you're able to. But in your local communities, uh, you know, the opportunity to give back and to support the food pantries for the people that might not have enough food, uh, watching the need and watching the gratitude of the people. Uh, that received these, it's certainly worth it. Yeah, it absolutely is. And um, uh, Sean, uh, wish you a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Thanksgiving to all the firefighters in Buffalo Grove and all the Rotary members in Buffalo Grove and Wheeling and the people at Garden Fresh Food and the Continental Restaurant. It takes a village, doesn't it, Sean? Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much and happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Thank you. We're going to take a break. I'm probably going to open up the phone lines uh, when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
We are going to real quick um, open up the phone lines again for this last little segment before we go off into the weekend. Again, I sure hope that you have wonderful plans with family for Thanksgiving and uh, that that all of the family discussions go smoothly. I mean, really, let's let's just do as best we can. Um, a couple of uh, news items that have um, uh, broken recently. Um, the Centers for Disease Control are giving Chicago a big grant to uh, help with the overdose problem, an overdose prevention program, $17 million. It was just announced late this afternoon coming to the Chicago area from the Centers for Disease Control. A couple other things that I wanted to share with you. Um, I talked earlier about the place that you could go to register a comment. I've gotten a lot of people texting me that they're not on social media and what is uh, what is the address. There is, let me explain the situation again. The um, personnel management office in Washington is trying to prepare itself for the horrible possibility that Donald Trump could become president again, because he has said more than once that not only is he going to replace all the people in office who are political appointees, but he is also going to try to get rid of everybody who is a career civil servant, because he felt that the bureaucracy that was in place really thwarted him in his first administration. And we've we've seen accounts of this, of people who were in a position to maybe slow walk some of the things that he wanted to get done and keep some of his worst impulses in check. Yeah, he now wants to go after all those people and get rid of them. And today is the last day that as a citizen... You can register a comment about a rule change that the Office of Personnel Management is proposing that would make it harder for any president, but particularly Donald Trump, to just wholesale get rid of civil service employees. Might not stop him forever, but it would certainly slow him down. And things that he otherwise, people he otherwise might have been able to get rid of in weeks, it might take him months and months to get rid of those civil servants. So I texted out the link uh, to several people. I posted it on my Threads account. I posted it on X, which I hardly ever use anymore, what used to be known as Twitter, the link. Because what they're asking for is comment. You know, there's um, the government's going to consider this rules change. How does the public feel? And it might seem like an unimportant action to take. But when rules like this come up for a vote and they see that there have been thousands of people who commented on this, thousands of people who are paying attention and want to do what they can to thwart Another Donald Trump presidency from taking norm breaking action. This is that kind of thing. 
you know, you can there's all these um, examples of what you can say. All you have to say is this is a great rule that the Office of Personnel Management is considering OPM. Don't even write it out. OPM. OPM is considering a great rule change. I fully support this. Please make this happen. Bing, bang, boom. You can do it today. Today is the last day that they are taking public comment. And I will say that when I first started looking at this site, there was a very small number of public comment. And now there are a couple of thousand public comments. So, again, uh, you can text me if you need the link. Here we go. I'm seeing people do it right now. Um, and I will, I will send it out to you. And it takes, it took me like three minutes. You know, it, it act, absolutely took me three minutes to do this. This is democracy in action. This is how we're going to get you prepped for all the things that you're going to need to do in 2024. If we didn't have that crazy electoral college, if we didn't have a high-profile nut job in RFK Jr., if we didn't have Republican private and corporate money pouring into no labels, then I would say, oh, don't worry, because there's more of us than there are of them, and we'll make sure Donald Trump never takes the White House again. But the bottom line is we do have all those things to be concerned about. We do have a potential distraction in uh, people who are trying to create a third party. Heck, we even have Jill Stein again. Dear God, did we not get rid of Jill Stein? Apparently not. Jill Stein is now uh, back in the race. We have people who are potential spoilers. We have organizations that are potential spoilers. And last but not least, we have an electoral college that gives more weight to the votes of people who live in small states than the, than the weight of the votes of people who live in large states. It is a crazy, non-intuitive, backwards, old-fashioned system that has long outlived its usefulness, but we are stuck with it. Remember, Hillary Clinton got three million more votes than Donald Trump, but Donald Trump got the presidency. Don't think it can't happen again. So we've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. And, um, you know, doing this public comment today, maybe over the weekend or Monday or Tuesday, You'll look up um, the social media, the Facebook page for the Buffalo Grove Rotary or the Wheeling Rotary, or you'll know, make a call to the Continental Restaurant in Buffalo Grove and be able to help out some folks for Thanksgiving. Or as I said, you know, just a couple of days ago, I Googled food pantries to see about getting a list. Andy uh, Miles at our station does our community calendar, and it's usually political events that you can attend. And I suggested to Andy that, you know, for the coming month of the holidays, that maybe we start 
giving the addresses and locations and the needs at various food pantries around the area. It's important all year round, but it is especially tragic at the holidays when people don't have enough food to feed their families. And maybe if we start getting used to dropping some stuff off at food pantries or making a donation or giving them a call and finding out what they most need, maybe that exercises our civic muscles as well. We gotta, I know I'm out of, my civic muscles are out of shape too. We all need to, um, start working out our civic muscles. Because uh, 2024, I mean, as Adam Kinzinger said, it's not a, if it, if, if it becomes a contest of Trump versus Biden, then it becomes a contest about do you vote to preserve our democracy or do you vote to turn us into a dictatorship? Please don't tell me if it's Trump versus Biden that you don't know who to vote for because you're just not crazy about Joe Biden. Are you crazy about living in a free country? Then forget about who the candidate is. If it's any Democrat versus Donald Trump, then you have to vote for any Democrat. That is going to do it for me. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. As usual, your assignment this weekend is to... Find something that brings you joy and do it or a person you want to talk to and talk to them. I will be here Monday. I know it's Thanksgiving week and maybe you have more days off, but I will certainly be here Monday at 2 o'clock. Driving at Home with Patty Vasquez is next. I'm assuming she's going to be around next week as well. So have a great night. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, my friends. And I will talk to you Monday at 2. Good night.